You're listening to the J. John Podcast. Joining J. John this week are Jeff and Hope Price. They're sharing encouraging and inspiring stories about miracles, but also talking about some of the difficult topics around why we sometimes don't see miracles, even after we've prayed for one. Subscribe to the J. John Podcast today to catch up with previous episodes. And as ever, if you want to find out more about the Christian faith, visit jjohn.com or follow J. John on social media. You're listening to J. John in conversation with Jeff and Hope Price. Jeff, Hope, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Jeff, you trained in agriculture. That's right. I was working on a farm in Buckinghamshire as a stockman, um, but I always had a vision to work abroad as an agricultural missionary. And uh, I met Hope at Lee Abbey in North Devon, and we both eventually went abroad, Hope as a nurse and I as an agricultural missionary. And Hope, you worked with the terminally ill for many years. Yes, I'm still doing that. I was a Marie Curie nurse for 35 years, and now I do the same job locally. What a beautiful ministry to have, um, but also quite hard. But it's a privilege to be able to look after people in their own homes. Most people want to stay at home at the end of their life. and Sometimes one of us nurses going in is all that makes the difference as to whether the family can cope and the patient can stay at home where they want to be. Yes, wonderful. And you both ended up going to Rwanda and working there. What did you do in Rwanda? Well, I was involved in a rural development project, um, helping uh, families with uh, growing food for their children, and also um, with a forestry project. We started growing trees, and uh, it was a tremendous challenge, and we loved the African church there, and we both have Africa in our blood. So you spent four years there. What was life like there, Hope? Um, We had our children small there, and uh, we had a lot of contact with other families. Um, It was um, a very special time, but we're still in touch um, all these years later with many people, but now by email, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So last week we had three emails from um, friends in Rwanda. Now, you wrote this book together on miracles. Why did you write a book on miracles? Well, um, because Hope had such a success with angels, I felt that a similar book could be written about miracles with people's experiences as with angels. And so we both felt that we should do this together. What is a miracle? I think the word glory comes into miracles. Take, for instance, um, if you're watching an Agatha Christie on television, you've got Miss Marple, and she's looking out over the village. And through that net curtain, you can see a lot. You know, we can see a lot of what God has made and created. But then she takes the net curtain aside, and she can see more. Now, I think... That, to me, is tied up with miracles and the glory of God. It's revealing more of who God is. And he intervenes in all kinds of ways. 
a bit like a, a pastor in Madras in India who wakes up in the morning and he says, I wonder what kind of miracle God will give me today. And I think it's that anticipation that God is at work and that in many ways he can surprise us with joy and display his love. Now, you hope were quite ill and sick. Um, what was wrong and what happened? Um, when our daughter was born in Rwanda, um, I became very ill with depression. And um, it was tied up with uh, um, other things. I had a tooth abscess that was so bad I lost the tooth and required pethidin for the pain. Um, there were a lot of um, problems uh, going on in the area. Um, the General Amin was making life very difficult for um, people in Rwanda because of what he was doing in Uganda. And um, um, somebody that we trusted um, found the key to our safe and broke into the safe and, and stole everything from it. Um, so there were a lot of different things happening, but also I had postnatal depression following our daughter's birth. And um, when uh, we were praying about this, um, we had moved to a new area at Kahini, and the other missionaries there didn't know me before. So the depressed me that they got to know, they thought was the real me. Um, so only Jeff really knew um, how much I was suffering and how the anxiety and depression um, were um, inflicted on me. Um, but there were other problems going on um, in the, on the hill and uh, with the hospital staff and uh, with the um, school and college. And so all of us missionaries decided to meet together one day to pray and fast over Sunday lunchtime about the problems on the hill. And we were sitting on our veranda. We'd fed the children and put them down for a nap. And we prayed um, with the other missionaries about the different things that were happening. And uh, one of them, uh, one of the other missionaries had uh, never received a word from the Lord for somebody else, but the Holy Spirit spoke through her to me. And the message was, um, I know um, the situation that you're in and I love you and I want you to put all your burdens at the foot of my cross. And as I heard that, that message, I knew that it was for me. And I looked up and in front of us was a beautiful view. Now we'd lived there three months and other people coming had said, wow, what a fantastic view. Um, and I just said, yes, because I really hadn't seen it. But as uh, that prayer was, um, was made for me, um, I looked up and I saw the view for the first time and it was stunning. And I stood up to get a better view from our veranda. And it was incredible how I just felt as if I'd had a rucksack full of rocks that fell off my back as I stood. And in that moment, I was completely healed. I was healed of the depression and anxiety. 
I was also healed of all the little physical things that were wrong with me, um, infected bites and sore throats and bad tummy and all kinds of things that had been wearing me down as well. Um, but also I'd felt cut off from God. Um, when I prayed, I felt as if my prayers just bounced back off the ceiling. Even if I went outside, I felt like there was a glass ceiling. I felt out of touch with God. Um, and in that healing um, of the depression, I was immediately healed spiritually as well. And I was back in touch with God again. It was an incredible moment. It was an amazing moment for Jeff and I. It was an amazing moment for that missionary who God spoke through for the first time. And it was an incredible um, sense of release. And um, we um, hadn't shared with them before about how I was depressed, but afterwards they really saw a huge difference. Because they saw a new woman. Yeah. <laughs> and that happened instantly. It did. Mm. It was so amazing. you would say that that was a healing miracle. Yes, definitely that you personally experienced? Yes, I'd never been depressed before. It was postnatal depression, but with all of these other things all combined to make me ill at the time. Now, uh, Jeff, in the Bible, well, first of all, as Christians, we all do believe in miracles because we believe Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> you, you can't really be a Christian yeah, and not believe that. that. Yeah. And in the Bible, there are many mm. recorded uh, miracles. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea, Jesus uh, making uh, wine out of water, the raising of Lazarus, mm. the healings. Does that sort of thing happen today? Yes, it does, but in a modern context, really. Um, it was Martin Luther who actually said, the greatest miracle of all is a changed life. Yes. So conversion is a, a divine intervention. Um, and then you've got miracles of healing, as we've just heard from Hope. Um, and there are people who um, are changed by the very fact that God's Holy Spirit comes upon them. Um, we hear in Wesley and Whitfield in the 18th century how people were restored to health. It's not just something that happened long ago, as some people have maintained, but has carried right through to our own generation. Um, if I may just share uh, a divine intervention with two people that we knew, um, Bob and Pat, um, who were struggling as, as people who wanted to become Christians and um, had shared with their friends, and they came to the conclusion, Bob and Pat, that there isn't a God after all because nothing was happening. There was no kind of divine intervention. There was a lack of understanding that God was there for them. And in the morning, Bob went into the bathroom to shave. And while he was shaving, he felt the blade cut into his chin. And all of a sudden, he found himself on a hill. And he knew that that hill was Calvary. And then he saw a man and with an outstretched arm, he grabbed the arm and began to hammer a nail into his arm. And as he was hammering the nail into his arm, he said, I love you, I love you. And then the whole vision changed. 
and he saw a person on a throne. And this he took as being God himself. And next to him was the man that he had been hammering a nail into. And above was the Holy Spirit. And the three of them said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he began to talk to the Lord about his condition. And then he came back into the bathroom, a completely changed man, a divine intervention. And his wife then later became a Christian as well. So God works today. And he actually then came and became a, an evangelist with us in Dorset, where we had a parish. He'd been a butcher before. He was a butcher before. <laughs> That's incredible. Incredible. Now, how often have you heard stories like that? Well, we've picked up many stories um, that we recorded in the book. Um, and also stories of conflict. We have to remember that God's compassion is there when apparently we don't see something happening or we don't see God intervening. For instance, Gordon Wilson of Ennis Gillen came to one of our churches in Shropshire and spoke about how his daughter Marie was killed by the IRA on Remembrance Sunday. And he was interviewed after the um, killing of his daughter. And he said, I have no answer, but I know God has a plan. And there is a greater plan, and God is good. And so the whole subject is one of a great interest. For instance, if I may just share with you. Of course. There were two men in Manhattan in the USA. One was a countryman, <clears throat> the other was a city man. And they were both walking down the street. And there was a lot of noise going on. Um, there were cars going back and forth, there were planes going over, there was the buzz of Manhattan. And all of a sudden, the countryman said, can you hear that cricket in that bush over there? And the city man said, I can't hear a thing. He said, how can you hear that? Well, he said, it all depends what you're tuned into. And then the city man said, wait a minute, I've got some coins here. And uh, he dropped the coins on the street. And all the people around him turned their heads and they recognized that money had been dropped. And so we can attune ourselves to what God is doing, surprising yes. us. You gathered a lot of stories in this book, uh, Hope. Um, t tell us some stories about God's provision. Um, yes, um, there are 300 examples of miracles in the book. Um, but one um, happened to me. Um, Jeff was away. We were in Rwanda and Jeff had gone to Mombasa to collect a vehicle that Tia Fund had sent out for our work. And um, while he was away, there was a huge bushfire. Uh, our garden was above um, an area of scrubland and, um, and a fire started there and it was getting stronger and stronger as it was coming towards our garden. And normally, um, Rwandans would break a branch off a tree and beat out the flames. But it was lunchtime. And so the people who worked with us had all gone home and, and there weren't, wasn't anybody. Um, one elderly pre, uh, retired missionary was staying with us at the time and she was helpfully taking photos of the fire. <laughs> um, 
and um, I needed to get help. So I left my two small children with her and I ran up the road shouting in Kinyagwanda, fire, fire, or Umuriro, which is what means fire. And, and people would, would come running, but there was nobody around. It was the only time in four years we were in Rwanda there was nobody around. So I came back to the house um, without help and I, uh, I got a bucket and I went to the tap. There was no water in the tap. That happened a lot. Um, and then I got back to the fire and it was just right up to the edge of a huge stand of bamboo. It was about um, 10 feet across and 15 feet high. It was Jeff's favorite place in the garden. And, um, and the fire was right up to the edge of that. It was uh, frantic um, how close it was. And if the fire had um, caught this tinder dry bamboo, it was the middle of the dry season, then it would go whoosh up to the house and catch the house, which was mainly wood and bamboo. And, um, and then I realized I hadn't prayed. And I prayed, please God, stop the fire. And he did. It was the most enormous fire and literally it just stopped. Immediately. Immediately. The fire was right up to the edge of this tinder dry bamboo and it stopped. It was as if a lorry load of water had um, been poured onto it. It was just amazing. Extinguished. God just completely stopped the fire with no water, with no help, with no beating, um, with branches, nothing. And the lady taking photos said, how did that happen? (laughs) And I said, I remembered to pray. And God answered. I mean, that must have boosted your faith. Incredibly. Did you then pray almost like with more expectation? Yes. Following that? Yes, and and with grateful thanks, because um, I think so often we take things for granted and God does answer prayers and God Mm. does do miracles, but we don't recognise it and we Mm. don't thank him. Mm. So in other situations, Hope, um, there's a need, we pray, but there's no obvious answer. Sometimes God answers in ways that we haven't expected, different ways. Um, sometimes the answer is wait, and, um, and we don't like doing that. Um, but when we look back, we can see that he did answer in a different way that actually made it right and made it better. But sometimes what, what do we do with our disappointment when we feel that God hasn't turned up, hasn't heard our prayers? He always does hear our prayers and he loves us. That's the important thing to recognise. Um, but he, um, he sometimes um, shows us a different way or delays. And, and that's what we struggle with, don't we, sometimes? We do. yes. Waiting is not easy. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for good. good. Um, But the verse doesn't say all things are good. (laughs) But he can take everything and work it for good. good. And so there's an element where we've got to trust in the sovereignty Mm. of God. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and and I think that's the challenge to us all as Christians. Yeah. Are we believing in the sovereignty of God? But, yeah. but when you hear of miracles, healings, it is an encouragement mm. and it's kind of a boost, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, in one's life, in one's faith. Um, 
Which miracles that you recorded in this book, Hope, stand out for you? I mean, they're all, I don't want to say more special than others, but which are the ones that are most memorable to you? Um, One that was um, particularly important was a lady called Edith Nunn, and she had multiple sclerosis. And um, over the 11 years that she had it, that she was getting worse. Um, she gradually lost her ability to walk and uh, talk and use her arms. And, and eventually she had to go into a care home and she was finding it very difficult. Her um, voice was very um, limited. She had to use an amplifier for people to understand her. She couldn't feed herself. Um, but a friend of hers took her to a a meeting where somebody was praying for healing. And um, and he said um, at the prayer time, somebody is here with multiple sclerosis. I don't know who it is, um, but the Lord wants to heal you. So um, she was pushed forward in her wheelchair and, and this um, man, Martin, prayed for her. And with help, she was able to stand up. Um, which was the first time she'd been able to do that for years. And um, and that evening, as she um, got home, got back to the care home, she was able to use her voice. And um, by the end of the week, she was able to walk down the corridor and use the lift to go to the dining room. Um, and then... Um, Within a couple of weeks, she was able to move back into independent living, which was extraordinary. Yeah. And um, and the flat that the council found for her was an upstairs flat with no lift. And she was able to manage the stairs and she was able to look after herself again. And by going back to the area that she'd come from in Woking, she was able to re-register with the GP who she had been with before. She hadn't seen him during the four years she was in the care home because that was in a different area. And and he wrote and and told me about this um, for the book. And he said, I was astonished when I saw her because there was no trace of the multiple sclerosis. And that doesn't happen. People aren't healed of multiple sclerosis. And at the time when she'd been diagnosed, she saw several different consultants who all were absolutely convinced that she had all the signs of multiple sclerosis and she no longer had it and only God could have done that. And that was a healing miracle. Yes. Mm. Uh, Jesus, Jeff, went, Mm. it's recorded in the Gospels, he went to one uh, community uh, and he couldn't perform Mm. any healings or miracles because of unbelief. Yeah. How do you interpret what Jesus said there? I don't think it was because of people who say, oh, that person lacked faith and therefore wasn't healed. I think there was a resistance against his whole ministry. He may have been so well known that they took him for granted. Um, And... He did do, I think, one or two healings in that area. But I'd like to carry on that conversation and say lots of people say, oh, well, it was because of a lack of faith that person wasn't healed. I don't think it's faith. I, th- I think it's 
um, a dependency um, on God. It, it, isn't, it doesn't always depend on our faith when, when someone is healed. Um, the paralytic, for instance, it was the faith of the four people who carried him that, that um, uh, eventually healed the paralytic and also forgave his sins. Um, there, maybe there was a stubbornness um, that, that, that they had towards him. And I think things don't happen if we're not in a, a relationship with God. And I think that's primarily the, the reason why things do happen to people um, that may not happen to others is because there is a relationship with Christ. And that relationship is found in love and intimacy and therefore a sense of expectation that God will be in this situation. He will be in my physical state. He will be in that difficult relationship. He will come into our church and renew it. He will be there even in areas of conflict. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, the sovereignty of God. But our willingness to be part of that, I think, is the main area where God will display his, his majesty and his, his, his intervention, whatever that may be. Yeah, the reason I, I asked that question is, is just to kind of review and say, well, is there anything that is hindering us from yeah. seeing healing, yeah. mm. seeing more miracles. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I mean, faith and relying on God's Holy Spirit um, are the environment in which God is able to, to work. But I, I don't think it's always a lack of faith that people talk about. I, I think it's the environment in which we find ourselves. And wherever Jesus is, things happen, didn't they, you know, yes. in the Gospels? So if you invite Jesus, I think that is, that is a better way, of, uh, I think, in, in inviting him into the situation, um, not resisting, even if it turns out very different to what we thought it was. And our lives have turned out yes. very different from when I was growing up with my parents and meeting Hope and we went to Africa and then came back and then all sorts of things happened to us. And it hasn't always been easy. And I, I don't think God expects us, you know, he's not pulling us out of difficult situations. But I think the invitation to, to allow God to be in our lives is more important than why hasn't God done something here? Because we've prayed about it. I don't, I don't think that's the attitude. I think it's far deeper. I think it's recognizing the presence of God. I mean, Brother Lawrence, as we know, um, wrote a book about practicing the presence of God. And yes. I think that that is key. If we allow his presence, whatever we're doing, however small, um, you know, allowing God to be in whatever we're doing is a divine intervention in itself because we can recognize him. And if he chooses to do something that we have asked for, praise him. If he doesn't, then let's pursue other areas that we can serve and please him in. Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, I like uh, one of the, your sentences there. Wherever Jesus is, things happen. Yeah. Mm. And I think the encouragement is stay close mm. to Jesus. Mm. 
we need to kind of spur each other on and encourage each other to expect more. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Hope, for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. I hope that's uh, inspired you and encouraged you. Stay close to Jesus, because when we're close to Jesus, things happen. Let's expect miracles. Let's expect healing. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff and Hope Price on the subject of miracles. And if you missed last week's episode where Hope shared about angels, you can listen again on the J. John podcast. I'd encourage you to visit jjohn.com to learn more about the resources that J. John's made available, including a number of wonderful children's books such as Knowing God, How Can I Pray? And that's a good question. Do have a look at what's available. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the J. John podcast, press subscribe to be notified about future episodes. You've been listening to J. John in conversation with Jeff and Hope Price.